everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 54, listener spotlight number 8, for July 7th, 2011. Welcome back to another listener spotlight, our number 8. Yeah. How very cool. Um, I hope you all had a, uh, you Americans anyway, had a wonderful Independence Day celebration. Um, we are recording this before that, and so I won't be able to tell you if I blew off any fingers or not. Right. Uh, but just, uh, <laughs> I hope you had a great time, and welcome to um, pretty much the doldrums of summer. We've got, what, uh, uh, nothing really coming up until September, holiday-wise. Right. Um, and so this is the time where we're just kind of uh, wake, looking for a reason to drink beer and barbecue meat. Yeah, right? yeah. Do we do we really need a reason other than Saturday? That's, <laughs> yeah, right. that's a pretty good reason, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, this week we'll be talking with uh, Kevin Wisher, who's uh, a listener of ours. Go ahead and say hello, Kevin. Hello, everyone. And uh, Kevin has uh, been a listener, he says, for just over a year, and we'll uh, get on with him. A little bit, but first I wanted to uh, bring your attention to a couple of new shows that are launching uh, just this week. Uh, uh, actually, one is now, after this airs, will be uh, about to air its second episode. There we go. And yours is, when did we say yours was coming? Uh, the 12th. The 12th, so the week after. The, the, <laughs> the asynchrony of recording things ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. I well, can really get ahead of you sometimes. Go go to the website That's right. and check the calendar. And, and what website would that be, Sean? That would be elementopi.com. You can still go to the tightwadtech.com, but it'll bounce you right back over to elementopi.com. Uh, we've got um, the Tightwad Teacher podcast launching on um, just July 12th. Right. Um, and then just last week, or uh, as by the time you're listening to this, <laughs> this week, as the time we're recording it, our uh, food, uh, health and fitness uh, podcast called One Meal, One Workout is being released. Uh, we're, we're really excited uh, about the, the way we're branching out here, and I think it's going to be kind of cool, but it's, uh, it's created some interesting challenges. Now we have four shows releasing on four days of the week. We've got a, a fifth show that should be up before long. Right. So we'll be uh, releasing five consecutive days, Monday through Friday. Um, and as I, you know, I've already mentioned a couple of times, we, we record things in advance. And so it creates a bit of a, um, a burden on me as the, the guy who posts things. Um, to uh, make sure I get everything right. Like last week, uh, some of you may have noticed that the Tightwad Tech feed uh, was late. Actually, it'll be two weeks ago by the time this airs. Last week is the time we were uh, well, it. Well, late uh, is, recently. is a little bit of a stretch, right? Well, I mean. yeah, it was late for me when I like to do it. Uh, but anyway, uh, I got up Thursday morning. They, they're supposed to come, go out. Usually, I like to do them either uh, late Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday night, or uh, like midnight, right at Thursday right. morning, uh, uh, central time. Um, and I got up and was on my way to work and went, oh, I forgot to release the episode. Let me go do this. So so I'm sitting in my living room, uh, late, you know, making myself late for work. Uh, late is a relative term. I'm always early. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, late for you is 20 minutes early. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I, I, I figured out I, I need to come up with a way to schedule these things. I can just throw them in the, the hopper and they'll come out when they come out. And so I started looking around for options to do that. We've been using a tool called Pod Podcast Generator, which is a great open source tool. Uh, and it doesn't have that option. So I started looking at other solutions for that 
man, I can't find anything. I, I'm sure there's something out there, but I don't know what it is. I can't find anything at all. And so then I thought, well, you know, I'm a competent hacker, um, and PA, uh, a podcast generator is open source PHP code, so I'll just make it do what I want it to do. So I've been uh, working around on this, and hopefully um, by the time uh, this show airs, I will have that script written, and I'll uh, zip it all up in a patch and send it to the creator, and, and it'll be a, um, a schedulable feature. Uh, so the idea now is that once this is all done, every show will come out at midnight Central Time or Eastern Time or, or you know, Greenwich Mean Time if I choose to, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'll just schedule that, and the, the blog post will appear, and the the uh, things will be put in the RS feed, and it'll all just happen automatically. And... Um, I don't know why I'm telling the audience that, but you're geeks, so I thought you might appreciate that because it's kind of a geeky thing. Well, and I, you know, not to say that this podcast is this to everyone, but you know, I I definitely have one or two podcasts that uh, one in particular that if it's not in my in my well, my phone is my device of choice that I use to listen to my podcast, but if it's not in my phone Tuesday morning. I'm like checking the website and what's wrong. Yeah, wondering. Did, yeah. yeah, did they go down in a plane or you know? <laughs> you're just like, where's my podcast? There've been been a couple of times in the past. I've gotten to work and logged into the chat room, and and our friend Tux is there saying, "Hey, where's the show, Mark? Oh, I forgot to post it. Hang on, let me go do that." Right. So, um, you know, at least some people are there to to keep me on my toes. Uh, that'd be an interesting survey. One of the new uh, features that we have uh, with Drupal is is polls. Maybe I'll put a poll up on the website. That'll be interesting to see how many people care if your podcast is there right away. I mean, if you're an anal retentive rain man type like I am, you want it there like as soon as you wake up in the morning. Sure. Yeah. Um, or at least the same time every week. I mean, right. Yeah. Even if it was noon, at least it was there at noon every week. Yeah. But other people, I suspect, just kind of like one of our friends uh, that's been on the show before, uh, uh, Kevin uh, Weaver, not Kevin Wisher, who's here today, uh, sinks his iPod once every four or five weeks whenever he thinks about it and it downloads a hundred shows and he listens to those and then when he runs out he goes out and sings some, some more so um it's i guess it's just a, a personality difference kevin what about you how do you handle that um i i think i've got like 50 to 60 podcasts i listen to and i just <clears throat> and I use Rhythmbox. I, I run Linux at home, and I use Rhythmbox as my podcatcher. And I just once a day when I get home from work, I'll let it download and throw them into a playlist, and then sync it to my Android phone, and then I listen to them the next day at work. So I may be running about a week behind on you know on my podcast, but why not use something on your phone that catches them? Why not skip that intermediate step? Um. I haven't. I uh, here's where my OCD or anal retentive come in. I, I like, we all have it. <laughs> I, I like my podcast to be in chronological order in a playlist, so that I don't hear news. You know, that's two days ahead of another podcast that has some news. So I kind of keep everything in chronological order. And, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I haven't found a solution to, to you know. To make a, a manage uh, manage it on my phone to where it puts it in the correct order that I and I don't like to you know just manually keep searching for a podcast to play one at a time. I just like them be in a playlist, hit play, and go. So you're but with fifty of them, clearly you're not on top of them all the time. Correct. Uh, yeah. Well, so like I, today, like today when I 
I uh, downloaded. I had thirty in my queue for that I uploaded to my phone. So. But you make a point to listen to this podcast as soon as it comes out every week, right? No, it gets in <laughs> chronological order, just like everything else. <laughs> Oh, no, you if, heard I'm on, if I'm on a show, I'll listen to it. <laughs> you heard me, Kevin. You heard me. You're supposed to say all shows but this one. Yeah. This uh, one gets a special queuing up to the top. <laughs> um, well, let's, let's deviate from our um, uh, show notes because, you know, that's so rare. We don't ever do that. But, right. Kevin, I'm interested since you brought it up. What are some of your uh, uh, favorite? I mean, I don't list all 50 of them, please. But what are some of your favorite podcasts? Uh, I would say my favorite ones are from uh, Steve Cherubino with the the Podnuts, all, right. uh, all his shows. Uh, and then I picked up on your new show with the Linux, uh, Everyday Linux. Anything to deal with open source and Linux software, I I, I prefer. Uh, uh, Leo Lepore, I listen to quite a few of his off the Twit Network, of course. Uh, Steve Gibson, Security Now, and... Hacker Public Radio. Listen to a lot of all the shows that come out of there. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, you listen to the Linux Action Show over at Jupiter Broadcasting. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Listen to those guys, and then they they just came out with a new show, uh, Tech Snap, I believe. It's kind of Chris and a friend of his. It's not Brian, so they don't get kind of as carried away as uh, <laughs> they do on their main show, and they kind of deal with more like uh, network security and issues like that. That's more up my alley. One of the ways I described that show to Sean one time is all shtick, a little bit of information. <laughs> and there's, yeah. there's there's a little information in there, but there's a whole lot of shtick you got to sit through. All right. They're quite entertaining. <laughs> so, uh, so let's see, your Podnuts, what it was, uh, you listen to, I'm guessing, Podnuts Daily and, uh, what, Linux for the rest of us probably is yeah, 20 years uh, later. Yeah. Linux Basics. I like listening to Door to Door Geek. He's, he's got a lot of useful information in the Linux world. Okay. Uh, and then I, of course, I, I run a, I have a part time computer repair business. So that's how I found Podnuts was, which is, yeah, that's a great network if you're doing that kind of work. Right. Okay. Well, I just thought I'd, uh, that's a question that it's often asked. You know, uh, people who are uh, diehard podcast listeners are always looking for new ones. So, uh, uh, Kevin, do, do us a favor and put in, uh, in the show notes there in the documentation, see your top five and we'll put them in the show notes, uh, when this, uh, episode airs later in the week. Okay. Um, or is it later next week? Next week. Yeah, it's next yeah. week. Sorry. Anyway, whenever it airs. <laughs> Sean, you wanted to say something about Asus computers. What did you have on your mind there? You know, I well, I just it's funny. We were uh, we were looking at netbooks today, right? Because we're uh, looking at purchasing some of those for the elementary campus, and uh, it just seems funny how uh, over the course of probably what the last three or four months now, every time we start looking for, admittedly, it's all been laptops and netbooks and things like that. But how we keep coming back to these machines and, uh, you know, before I got my laptop, I really wasn't very familiar. And as a matter of fact, I was kind of nervous about purchasing this one because I wasn't really familiar with the brand. And in just a very short time, it seems like not are the not only are they really jumping out there and it, it seems to be, you know, pretty good quality products. And the reason they keep coming up on our radar is because they're cheap. Right. Um but uh, how impressed I've been with them. I mean, I love my laptop, and it just seems like 
you know, it seems like they're they're putting out a good product. So, you know, they're not paying me to say this, right. but um, uh, it, it's just interesting to see that. So I just wanted to mention it really because I figured that there's probably other people out there like that, right? They're looking at machines. Everybody knows the Dells and, and all of that uh, and the HPs and, and whatnot. But um, if you're looking at Asus, uh, at least from my experience, uh I've been real happy with them so far. Yeah, my first, I bought the Asus E-Triple-E PC, the very first one, uh, what, four or five years ago, whenever that was. Uh, and then when you bought that laptop, we bought an Asus. When it went time for me to buy a new laptop, I bought an Asus. Just recently we bought two different, two new laptops. And they, again, it's, we're not, we don't go looking for those, but we're looking for performance versus price. Right. Um, and they always come out right at the top of the, the mix there where you get specs and price. And yeah, yours is built like a tank, uh, yeah, durability wise. Uh, yeah. I have zero issues with it. And, uh, it's been, I don't know what, four or five months now, yeah. I guess that I've had it. Um, and I'm extremely happy with it. It works great. And so I just wanted to throw that out there because, uh, like I said, there might be others that are out there and unfamiliar with the brand. And, uh, uh, sure enough, if you're looking for a good, a good machine at a reasonable price, you're going to run into these. And, uh, I can say, uh, I'm real happy with them. For you anal retentive geeks out there, Sean is one of those guys who leaves the stickers on his laptops. Every time I look out there, it kills me. He's got all these these stickers hey, still there. I didn't, you know, I did you know, because that would require effort on my part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Do, do, do you guys have uh, ASUS, uh, you know, in service in the in your school system? Uh, no, we uh, well, other than laptops and netbooks, we've got uh, a couple of those, but uh, uh, not many. Uh, we're actually just before we started recording the show, we were looking at uh, purchasing um, a couple of uh, new carts, and right now ASUS is at the top of the list. So uh, the answer to that will probably be yes in the next couple of weeks. So how do they compare with on price and uh, warranties with the Dell or HPs? Um, they, they've all, they're right there at the top. I mean, they're, they're, they're the cheapest one so far that we've found even less expensive than, well, Acer generally might come in a little below them. Uh, but I'm kind of soured on Acer. They've, they, for a couple of years, they were really putting out crap. I, every company I think goes through that. Right. Uh, I would say right now for the next, you know, uh, few months, at least Acer is, uh, seems to be at the top of the heap, but they may start putting out garbage before too long. Um, you know, I used to be a big fan of HP, and HP kind of fell fell apart. And I, at this point right now, I wouldn't buy an HP laptop, even though four years ago I did buy an HP laptop and loved it. Uh, so I, I think parts like that are very cyclical. But right now, ASUS is is my recommendation, and because it is that uh, they got a good warranty, they've got good uh, uh, specifications, they cram a lot into a, a small space, and uh, they seem to be built really well. Yeah. And right now they're, uh, what is it, second to Apple in customer satisfaction? Oh, really? I think that's right. I didn't know that. I mean, I believe it, but uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was a new, I think a Gartner report just recently that Apple's at the top. And of course, who's going to admit they don't like their Apple? They just paid $3,000 for it. Uh, so well, that's kind of a better false number. Get, you better get good customer service. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's it's the same reason you buy a Mercedes or a BMW, right? I mean, you pay a lot of money for those yeah. cars. You go in and you get, you know, your feet kicked up in a, a yeah. nice glass of champagne while they do your oil change. Well, so. I, I didn't say customer satisfaction, uh, service. I said customer satisfaction. Well, okay. And, and yeah, yeah. Post sale satisfaction right now acer is uh second only to apple uh they have the lowest return rate 
uh, other than Apple right now. And it's close. Right. It's within a couple of percentage points. All right. Taiwan Tech brought to you by. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Asus, contact <laughs> us and throw us some money. <laughs> All right. So let's move on and talk a little bit about Mr. Kevin Wisher, uh, who is uh, joining us today. Kevin, um, I don't know. Did uh, did you contact Sean or did he contact you? How did you uh, get to be on the show with us here today? Um, I contacted Sean to volunteer to be a a guest. Good. We like it when people do that. Yes. Yes. Take uh, that much less work, you know, just like stickers. <laughs> you okay. are a lazy, lazy <laughs> The smart tech is a lazy tech. Okay. <laughs> true. Very true. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. You, uh, you work uh, in education. You said you have a business, but uh, what's your day job? Uh, my day job is I'm a network system administrator at my local school system, which I graduated from in 1984. Uh, I've been employed there since uh, the end of November of 2009. So uh, there's in our technology department, uh, we have three people. We have uh, three separate locations, physical locations. We have a K through sixth grade elementary building. Then we have uh, a junior senior high, which is seven through 12. Uh, our classes average around 100 per class. So we have roughly, you know, 12, 1300 students, uh, 80 teachers and administrators. And uh, so I'm always curious about this. Your three physical locations, <laughs> uh, how far apart are they? Uh, I would say roughly we're in a two block area. Okay. Right? You could actually, you could actually walk to each building, you know, not, not with no problem. But. Are they physically on the same property or do you cross city streets to get to them? They're not on the same property. They're, they're yeah, you have to cross streets. So how them. do you have your buildings connected? What's your WAN made of? Uh, all of our buildings are connected with 10 gig fiber. So we've got. You know, linked. We don't have a total mesh between the three buildings, but they all we do. They all are connected with ten gig fiber. See, I'm always interested in that because right of ways and easements and even crossing a one city street can sometimes literally take an, a government act. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so there are. I know schools who are uh, have a building so far they could so close they could throw a rock from one to the other, but they have to run wireless because they couldn't get the rights to <laughs> string uh, a line that that rocks through apart. Uh, were you around when they were uh, installing that? No. In fact. Uh that's I'm not sure when that was all put in place. I, I just we were uh, during here our summer break. Uh, we're got a couple uh, high school students. Well, one of them is my son and his friend are working with us this summer to do uh, projector installs and clean out computers and what have you. You know the miscellaneous stuff you do during the summer. And uh, we were cleaning out the server room, and I happened to find. Uh, some plans from when they actually installed the actual server room at the school, and that was dated in 1995. So, and like I say, I graduated in 84 from there, and I think the only computers that were there, I had a chance, I took a class on a TRS-80 in my, my sophomore or junior year. So that's the only computers that were there with back the, in that time. With the dual <laughs> five and a quarter floppies on the right-hand side? Correct. Oh, correct. I love those machines. They I, used to teach us to sit down and grab a metal part of the chair and rub the screen to get the static off <laughs> uh, before we touched anything because they were afraid we might blow out the computer. I never heard of that one. No? <laughs> that was our uh, computer 
computer math, it was called. It wasn't computer science yet. It was computer math. That was the first thing they always taught us to do was grab something metal and use the back of your hand and rub the screen to de-staticize yourself. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, I'm kind of uh, curious. You mentioned uh, it, it's funny. We just did a show on uh, on summer maintenance. So you were talking about cleaning out the computers. How do you guys go about doing that? Well, <clears throat> last year, uh, because of budget constraints, we weren't able to hire. Normally, they hire one or two student summer helpers. And last year, we could not do that because of budget constraints. Um, so last year, none of the computers got actually you know, opened up and the dust blown out of them. So this is going to be the first time I'm involved in it, but we have a portable air compressor. We just take around each, you know, each computer and open it up and let her rip. <laughs> <laughs> we need to post some pictures of our rig online sometime. Yes. Uh, our, Every I think every school has them, and if you don't, you uh, I feel sorry for you. But uh, every, uh, lots of schools have this uh, uh, twisted genius who works in the ma- uh, the maintenance department. Uh, if you don't know that guy at your school, find him and become his best friend. Yes, um, because we were talking with this guy. He was he retired at uh, recently. He was in his sixties. Uh, he retired just this year, um, and uh, we were talking about that process of you know we've got. Uh, uh, how many computers do you have at your school, Kevin, uh, district-wide? Uh, roughly, I'm estimating 450. I never really have physically, you know, taken an exact count. So, uh, but I'm guessing I'm guessing 450. You're not doing your inventory. Shame on you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's uh, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek because yeah. we just barely started doing ours within the last six months I've or so. I've been here nearly 15 years, and the inventory is just in my head. Um, right, right. <laughs> but uh, we have... Uh, well north of 800 computers uh and so when we have the this thing this this process of t- taking a p- computer uh, do you do it inside or you take them outside to blow them out well i, I imagine we'll be doing it right in the room we won't yeah. be even taking them out I, I don't know i'm gonna have to wait and see how bad they are we may end up having to just t- you know if the janitors of the janitors are going through you know they empty the classrooms out and do their you know, floor waxing, and so we may not, if they've already been in the rooms, we may end up taking them out in the hall and do them so we don't mess up their job. Well, I don't know how things are there in Indiana, but here in East Texas, dust is everywhere, and if if we did them in the building, uh, we would be wading in dirt. So we always take them outside and blow them out and bring them back inside, and so it takes a while, especially when you've got as many computers as we do. Uh, so our twisted genius in the maintenance department built us this rig it's um it's like something you'd see in the movies where you you stick your arms through the hole in the glass to hold the radioactive substance right um (laughs) and so we've got this uh glass box uh, or it's a plexiglass actually this box that we set the stuff in we stick our arms through there and in there is a an air hose uh with the with the air compressor and on the one side is a, a shop vac sucking the dust down. Right. And so we just blow it out. It gets immediately, and on a really dirty machine, you can see the, the whole thing will just fill with dust and then, and then get sucked away. And it's kind of cool to watch. Um, and so we can do that now. Uh, what we did the entire building in three days, I mean, the entire campus in three days this year, uh, where it used yeah. to be a two or three week process. Yeah. Uh, not, yeah. Not campus district. Yeah. The entire district we did in about three days. And it's a, it's a wheelable rig and it's got a bottom compartment where your compressor and shop back, vac fit in. 
and then uh, the upper portion where you actually do the cleaning and it's a uh, it's a great thing and i don't do you remember how much we paid for that i think about 400 is what he charged us for this was a metal case it's a it's overbuilt really you could do it for a lot less but i think the the parts and materials was about 400 dollars for this thing yeah totally worth every and, penny of it well yeah i mean we're making our money back just on uh savings of uh, uh labor yeah so well i need to post some pictures of that and and if he he's one of those guys that never wrote wrote anything down. If he did, I'd I'd get the plans from him. But his plans are like my inventory; they only exist in his head. Yeah. So tell us a little more about uh, about what you do, Kevin. Uh, uh, what is it that makes you a tightwad? Well, um, of course, you know we feel the same as probably you do as far as budget constraints. We we don't purchase any software unless it's absolutely necessary and, and you know, and approved by the school board, of course. And so if, if we can do anything with open source and free software, we do it. Um, we're, I discovered your podcast from uh, about, I think it was about this time, you know, last year I was looking for a imaging solution and I'd heard about fog in the past from some of the podcasts I listened to. And, I was trying to image some some computers, and we're a Novell shop, uh, and they have a Novell had a imaging server it's called Zen as part of their ZenWorks package, and it wasn't doing the job the way I wanted to, and so I experimented with Fall, went to the Fall website, and I seen found your I think it was went right after you guys did a uh, interview with the developers of of Fog. I think it was listed on their website, you know, to check out us on the Tightwad Tech podcast. And so that's when I started listening to you guys. And that's when I got my first Fog server installed at school and been using it ever since. So I really like Fog. Uh, we run Moodle. We have a Moodle server. And like I say, we're running Novell, which is somewhat, you know, open source, but not totally. But it's not, uh, we're not, uh, a Microsoft network in any ways. We do have a few uh, Microsoft servers running, but not very many. I think you're one of a dying breed. Novell uh, used to be king of the hill, but uh, now they pretty much only exist in education and not many there. Uh, I'm curious, why why that choice? Or, or do you even know why you stick to being a, a Novell school? Well, um, my, let's see, I go back a bit there's three of us in the technology department my my boss is mr dennis bagley he is the technology director of our corporation and he was actually my geometry teacher back in 1982 <laughs> and he hired me as the network administrator so i handle anything that's hardware related you know servers uh, any hardware issues i and and setting up all the images for the computers, keep all the computers working and the printers. Then we, our third uh, member of the staff is, he's new too. He hired in just before I did at the start of the school year of 2009, and he is actually a technology uh, teacher. Uh, I can't remember his official title, but the, his job is to train our teachers in how to use our technology. So the, he, he the integration handles, specialist. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, and I so, think every school should have one of those, and yes. and, and I'm yes, constantly yeah. on our superintendent about the fact that we don't have one. I think every school should have one. He takes quite the the load off of me as far as you know teachers' questions and problems and training, and he handles the upkeep of our website and our Moodle server and 
and you know he does handle some of the chores he's working with with us this summer because he's on a he's on a teacher's contract where I'm a a full time employee. So during his normal you know off time during the summer, he's working with the summer crew with us with me and him and uh, the two school kids, and uh, we're getting we just got done installing twenty. 27 interactive whiteboards, smart boards, projector systems in the last three weeks. Knocked out. Say we're, we just got one left to do. Um, so that's been quite a bit of work here in the last three weeks. Okay. Uh, so uh, of those things that you, you mentioned, Moodle and, and Fog and, and other things, what, what would you say is your uh, favorite uh, Taiwad tool. Fog by far. It just <laughs> it it just saves me so much time. <laughs> it just, it's and I if I could probably have told you my inventory if I had I don't even have all of my machines you know registered in my Fog you know database yet. I haven't made it to every single one, so that's probably why I can't give you an exact number on on the computers we have, or I, you know I could just pull up the report for. You know all my machines off of that. Uh, I'm curious. Are you using just one central fog server, or do you have like storage nodes on different <coughs> campuses? Uh, I just have uh, one. Uh, when I started out, I actually put it on a physical server. Um, last over the Christmas break of this last school year, we uh, just got our first uh, Zen Zen server. So we're starting to virtualize what we can. So I virtualized my fog server. And so now I'm running, you know, just the one uh, virtualized fog server for the entire corporation. Virtualized, including the storage? Correct. Uh, yeah, we've got a SAN, you know, I got a 350 gig uh, volume off our new SANS unit uh, for image storage. Okay, so you just point the, the, the slash image file at that SAN? Correct, it's just mounted, you know, as a... Mounted on the image image folder. Yeah, so that, that's the way to do it. You got your uh, processing tools virtualized and your storage physical. That's a good way to go about it. Yeah, it works. It's been working out real well. Okay, uh, what else would you would you like to tell us about? You see, uh, you said you have roughly thirteen hundred students total uh, and eighty teachers. Um, what would you say is your biggest challenge uh, in meeting the, the needs of your students and staff? Well, um, it's, it seemed like at the end of the last of this last school year it was viruses, getting those uh, all those stupid malware, you know, fake anti-spyware oh, yes. stuff. Uh, I have still like haven't found a solution to stop that, but. That's where fog comes in. As soon as somebody says, oh, I've got these pop-ups on there. Well, reboot your computer. <laughs> you do have everything energy. stored on the server, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, there's, yes. The, well, yeah, that, sometimes that, there's teachers that just got, I don't know, hundreds of documents on their desktop, even though they've been infected in the past. You know, they, just, they never learn. But usually if, if, they, if the machine, if they call me and the machine is... Um, Unresponsive and during the during you know with the windows at the desktop on the windows desktop I'll just boot up into my uh, off my USB key to the Linux uh, you know live distro on my USB key and then I can get to grab their files off their desktop for them 
Oh, you're far too nice. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you wipe those hundreds of files one time, and they'll start putting things on their store, uh, server storage after that. Right. <laughs> yeah, we don't have too much of a problem with that anymore. 0% recidivism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once they get hit hard, you know, and they're like, ah, oh, my next two weeks lesson plans are gone. And Yeah. I mean, I sound like we're we're mean, but we have beat them over the head about that server storage over and over and over for 15 years now. Uh, save everything on our servers called Warrior. Save everything on Warrior. If it's not on Warrior, it's not safe. And, um, you know, we still have a few who, who don't get it. Um, and, you know, oh, well, I don't have any pity for them, frankly. Well, I've adopted them. Your guys' 20-minute rule, if Absolutely. I can't fix, fix your problem in 20 minutes, it's getting a new image. It's, it's just not worth the time sitting there and taking up the teacher's time in class, and we only have a few spare machines. That, well, I mean, I can image a machine faster than swapping it out with a spare even. So That's right, yeah. I mean, yeah. you got to walk down there to do that. Right, right, right. And with a 10-gigabit LAN, wow, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. You can probably spit images out in five or six minutes. On our, our base image, it it takes about 20 minutes to to do the push damage down to it so and we load That's and we don't right. get we don't get real skin and i i like i don't use the the snap ends like i should to where you know i make an image of a certain of a certain model machine and like the teachers machines have uh all of our basic packages on it and then they get the software for their projector and smart board systems but you know and we don't we don't scamp on software for them. We load it up with uh, VLC, um, Open Office, plus the certain machines do have Microsoft Office on them, and they get both. We get the Open Office and Microsoft Office. Uh, so every every machine basically starts off from a base image, and then for the specialty areas, I just add the, their specific software they need in that general area to that base image, but I'll make a copy of each specialized, you know, machine. So I've got numerous images that I have to upkeep, you know, and keep updated on on a regular basis. If you're going to be, you know, if you're not going to sit down and clean the machine when it gets infected and you have to try to keep your images up to date, keep all the Windows updates applied and keep up pushing your images up you know, at least once a month. That's kind of a, a running argument, not really argument, but discussion Sean and I have pretty regularly is which is better, a heavy image with everything on it or a light image and a lot of snap-ins? And yeah, because I'm kind of a, the snap-in house of, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to do everything. I, I, if I could get, have one image for all and manage everything else through snap-ins. Of course, I'm the tech, right? So that makes sense that I feel that way. Uh, that's what I'm shooting for. Even now, I'm doing image development for the summer, and uh, I'm really trying to do that as much as possible. I have as few images as possible and just manage everything th- through snap-ins. Some things that just doesn't work for, though. But And I, I am of the mindset of you have one image per hardware set with all the software and so that the, as soon as you deploy that image, everything's ready to go. But the interesting thing is I can't come up with a defense of that anymore other than that's the way I've always done it. Right. You know, before I had snap-ins, before when I was still walking around every machine with a bootable CD and and loading Ghost and running it, that's the way I had to do it. And so I, I sort of uh, had that ingrained in me and would still be doing that if Sean hadn't come to me one day and said, why are we doing this? Why don't we just make everything snap-ins? And so it's an argument we kind of go back and forth about, 
Because my way, as soon as fog is done, they're ready to go. His way, when fog is done, there's still maybe another 20 or 30 minutes of snap-ins to be added, uh, and the user doesn't have any idea about that. And every once in a while, we have a problem where a user uh, interacts with something in a way that they shouldn't before a snap-in is done. But it's really very rare. Um, but still, it's enough for me to go, ha, see, my way, that wouldn't have happened. Well, yeah, and we do. We go back and forth on that argument because uh, it's – it's also those weird times when you have a teacher that you didn't think their classroom would need uh, software ABC or whatever, and uh, and you you didn't put it on their image, and uh, because you're trying to keep the images somewhat manageable, uh, but it's it's also those times when it's like ah. I have a snap in for That's that. Right. And, uh, so I save myself, you know, uh, maybe multiple hours of work throughout the school year. Uh, so yeah, it goes back and forth, but, uh, I was really sold on the snap ins because I found that it was impacting my life. Uh, not so much Mark's life, but my life. <laughs> so. While I can't come up with a quantifiable reason, I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> I, I just, uh, tried my first snap in here we have a i don't know if you guys have it down there in texas or not but we have a, a state standardized testing that the kids have to take at the towards the end of the school year it's called i-step here in indiana but they the state came up with this software that had to be installed on each machine and instead of making that part of my image for a temporary you know testing software that was just going to be used you know the last month of school i used a uh, Oh, what was the name of that software to create the snap? And it was recommended on the Fog site. Install uh, right. Yes, yeah. Yeah. install right. And I just created uh, snap ins for that and pushed that out to uh, I don't know three or four labs that we had where the kids would be taking those tests, and that worked out real well. Let me guess, your testing software was made by Pearson. Um, CTB oh, online, okay. I think was. <laughs> Pearson was will the, buy them next week. Probably, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I wanted to say also with snap-ins, and I think if you look at it from a long-term management standpoint, um, if all you have is a base a, a base image that you need to every year update, uh, assuming like, okay, this year we made the tr- we're making the transition to Windows 7, but uh, then going forward into next summer, uh, let's, uh, well, I don't know. Well, Microsoft Office is probably not a good one because I think that one's too big to do as a snap-in. Uh, I think but, you can. I've, I've heard it. I've read on the Fog forum that you can do Microsoft Office. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't tried that one this year. I don't think so. I haven't either. But, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you know, you, you go through and you can kind of keep the two separated. And uh, th- there's some things that, you know, the snap-in from last year is going to work again this year. And so you don't have to reinstall all that stuff again as you go through. So image development seems to go a lot quicker um, when you're not having to do that. Now, admittedly, still a lot of the snap-ins, there were updates and, you know, uh, the latest version of GIMP or whatever that we're, we're doing. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I found that, you know, in image development, it's been a little bit easier. I still think I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Kevin, what uh, OS are you running primarily on the desktops there? Uh, currently, we're all Windows XP, but like you guys, we're, we're getting ready to receive eighty around 80 new machines for teachers and administrators. And this will be our first uh, Windows 7 machines on in, in the system this year. So that's going to be another change that we're going to have to deal with. 
I decided I didn't want to have a, a mixed environment and just went ahead and made the move to upgrade everything uh, because I don't, you know, it just uh, it, the cost was minimal compared to the uh, uh, administrative headache that I think it would cause to run uh, both environments. Uh, how do you keep your machines up to date? You mentioned, uh, you know, uh, software updates, and that sort of thing. Do you have your own update server in-house? No, we don't. Uh, that would require a Microsoft license. <laughs> Okay. So you don't have any Microsoft servers? Well, yes, we do, but uh, they're just running specialized applications. I think our, our lunch, our cafeteria management runs off one we have, and then we just had to put it, we're get, moving to a new uh, student management system that required a Windows server. So this is our, and I virtualized uh, my first Windows server on our new Zen server this last couple months ago to get ready for that for the coming uh, coming year so well you take any one of those and you can put the windows software update system on any existing uh windows server at, at no additional cost well that's something that we just found out that uh, i guess that microsoft's really towards the educational uh market they've really uh made a big cutting their prices so it's maybe become where we may be moving more towards microsoft here in the future i don't mean to be a windows fanboy but uh because uh, i'm not <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but I, I i am forced to live in that environment every day but uh, uh i found that once i set up the windows update server um my bandwidth hit went way, way down. Instead of having all those machines uh, trying to do their updates uh, individually, I had one machine do the updates, and they all checked in with that. Uh, do you have your machine set to auto-update, or do you just turn that off? How do you handle updating the desktops? Well, they just we we have them set up to automatically download and, and leave it to the teachers and to apply the updates, which never get done, so right. they're in a constant. They're still in a, they're in a constant state of not being updated. Yeah, we we kind of took a um, a Zen like approach to that, and, and it was. Um, with our student computers, of course, they all they they're locked down with, uh, with software that erases changes anyway. So we turn all updates off on that, and there's kind of no point in updating something that doesn't hold the changes. But with the teacher ones, we kind of took the attitude of uh, if they get updated, fine. If they don't, that's fine too. Uh, you know, maybe we're living on the edge there, but uh, very rarely has something. Most of the vulnerabilities that get patched uh, don't apply to somebody who's behind a good industry standard firewall and running uh, good vi antivirus protection anyway. They're they're generally remote code exploits that can't get through a firewall anyway. So uh, we've just kind of, like you, we let the teachers, uh, we don't have it automatically install it. And if the, and we go to some that have been ignoring that little yellow icon all year long and yeah. haven't installed anything and uh, very rarely does that bite us but for the most part um, it's less hassle to fix those machines because you just call fog in than it is to right. try to make people update because that's right. a big hassle I, I figured if they like watching seeing that little yellow thing down there in the corner blanking at them you know whatever and then that's their choice and like I said I haven't been bitten either by a Windows update not being applied. And then we have other teachers who are maniacal about it. I mean, like that that little thing says there's an update, and they're doing it immediately. And right. some of them feel the need to call me every time. Hey, there's yeah. this thing is that it, I downloaded. Okay if, yeah, is it okay if I do this Flash update? Is it okay if I do the Adobe update? Uh, yeah, that's, a, wish, that's uh, a sticky web, though. You know, if you're if you're 
a user and you just don't really know and you always have these things flashing at you. And, of course, that's how they get infected, too, right? They right. have something flash at them and say, hey, you need this. Click here to, to update this or whatever. And then they're infected. So it's really a sticky situation. That's, yeah. uh, Should I update this antivirus 2009? I got that call a couple of times. No, right. don't, right. don't click it. That's yeah. not real. <laughs> don't do it. Well, and that's uh, it's funny because the first episode of the Tightwad Teacher, uh, my tip of the week there is kind of running down some of the basic things that teachers should feel safe to update. Not only on their school machines, but it's good information to have for your home machine. You know, if you've got Adobe Reader, you need to let that update flash. You need to let that update, you know, for security vulnerabilities, of course, Windows and things like that, that a lot of the average users, they just they don't really understand that jungle, you know. So, uh, yeah, I try to spread the word as much as possible, I guess. So you're saying you can take any Windows server and turn it into a Windows update server at no additional cost? Yes, that's a that's a, a a role that you can add. It doesn't require any special licensing. And then you can push out those updates, right? You to you your, to, to to the clients, right? You you uh, well, I'm not sure how you would do it without using group policy. You'd probably have to do something on each machine, but you tell the machines instead of going to the internet, now go to this machine for your updates. Yeah, um, I would think you would work that into your base image, yeah. s- set up the updating to check back with that server, and then uh, once you've got those settings set into your base image, you just deploy your image and you're good to go. Yeah, in a Windows domain, it's a simple group policy setting that you change and they all get updated automatically. But in your case, you'd have to, to edit the local policy on your base image. Uh, but yeah, it, now you say instead of going to uh, update.microsoft.com, go to... Uh, 10.241.7.6, uh, right. and, and it does that every time. And so that one machine accesses the internet, downloads everything once, uh, and then all the other machines check in with it. Uh, we, we were seeing that, uh, Windows, the bits background intelligent transfer service were, was eating up 80 to 90% of our bandwidth, uh, with all these machines, uh, trying to download updates, uh, at once. And so we, we cut that out and everything immediately got way better for us in terms of uh, internet access. Hmm. Well, I'll have to do a little investigating on that. Absolutely. Yeah. If you've got, if you got a Windows server in house, uh, I, I say do it. Uh, server 2003 or 2008, either one can well, do it. Yeah. This, this latest one I just said about, you know, for new student management, so or 2008's first one on site. Yeah, and that's generally, uh, there are some things like, uh, that I will simply will not mix those two worlds. Uh, and student management is one that I, just because I'm paranoid, I wouldn't do anything but that because there's some really sensitive information on that. And you don't want, I, I wouldn't even, uh, I would put it on, you know, for me uh, on its own VLAN so it doesn't even touch the rest of the network. But if you've got something that's a little lower profile, uh, I, I would recommend you do that. But, you know, again, it's your network. You, you, you might not be as paranoid as I am. But for things like finance and student data, I tend to keep those machines completely separate just in case um, a, a worm gets in. Uh, it won't be able to extract that data off of those machines because the feds would come down pretty hard if I released little Johnny's, um, you know, Social Security number and, and uh, health records. Right. Yeah. 
Um, I'm kind of curious just to go off in another direction, although we are, uh, this does kind of go into the imaging again. Uh, and this is something I haven't quite done yet. Uh, you, you, uh, Kevin, you mentioned in the show notes that, uh, you use OpenOffice slash LibreOffice and, uh, we are kind of this year changing over from one to the other and going with LibreOffice now. And I'm just kind of curious what your experience has been with that. How long you've been using that? Are you transitioning as well? Um, yes, we'll be, yeah, I haven't, I don't have LibreOffice on our new image yet. Uh, we were still on open, uh, open office 3.1 as far as last year goes. I don't, I don't try to make a big major change in the middle of the year. So I'll be changing that this summer on the new image. And I've been using personally at home on LibreOffice for the last month or two. So I, and I really find no big major differences in between the two. And, and from what I've been hearing, the, LibreOffice group has actually implemented more changes and bug fixes since they've taken over than OpenOffice did in the last year or two. So, yeah, that's um, that's exactly my thinking. Is there right now they're functionally the same, but OpenOffice uh, LibreOffice is moving faster, so that's correct. why we're making the change. Uh, it's a lateral move right now. You're not getting much, uh, but I suspect in years to come. Uh, it will. They will begin to verge significantly. So right now in our corporation, only certain machines. We only have so many licenses for, and we're still running Microsoft Office 2003. So, and I don't know the exact terms of how many machines we're allowed to run that on, but we only run it on our newer machines and the older machines that the students use. Uh, outside of the labs, we have some older Dell uh, Optiplexes. Uh, I can't remember them all. They're about eight years. They're going on eight years old. We've got machines that are eight years old. <laughs> and so we don't put Microsoft Office on them. We just put the open office. And, of course, next year we leave your office on those. Eight years old is actually on the new end of some of our computers. <laughs> and we've got some eight, yeah, we've got some eight year old laptop carts too that are really showing their age. Everything's Dell in our corporation as far as the, Client machines. Make them thin clients, and then you'll get another eight years out of them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, replace a hard drive here and there, but otherwise you'd be fine. We uh, debated whether to even put Office of any kind on on our computers this year uh, because we've invested so heavily in Google Docs. And we kind of thought that if we just didn't put anything else on there at all, they would really push, uh, force their hand at it. Uh, but in the end, we decided we uh, – what do we do, Sean? You tell me. Did we put both on there or just Microsoft Office? Uh, uh, well, both. We're going with both. Uh, le- that's the thing. LibreOffice, I'm kind of curious how, how that's received because – uh, it's sort of an unknown quantity to me. Mm-hmm. I haven't used it or anything yet. So, uh, but I knew that they were they were more actively developing that. Uh, well, I knew that because you told me that. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> I heard it on good authority, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah. So we'll be running both. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I wish we could just ditch it all and and really force hands and uh, because really we watch entire classrooms. It's funny you see entire classrooms embrace. Uh, the Google Docs, and they're able to do everything that they need to do, and then other ones just don't. And it, it really the classroom comes- right across the hall is doing the same thing using Microsoft Office, right? And it's just a matter of it's it's that teacher and their preference or whatever. And I guess you could you could make an argument for well, you know that 
if you do prefer something over another, you should be able to use it. But, you know, when we're talking about times when all school districts, uh, I, you know, I think pretty much across the nation are really under, uh, you know, a budget crunch and you know we're we're having that crisis uh, everywhere and uh, i'm sure it's no different around the world uh let's get off of that uh, microsoft teat and uh, uh you know start uh, saving some money on software and that's exactly why we're still on version 2003 <laughs> <laughs> um i'm curious kevin uh, you had mentioned before we started recording that you're a, a linux user you use linux on your own desktops and laptops um have you uh considered putting uh linux desktops in at your school and uh why not if you have i have tried you know maybe i've, I've put out the trying to put the bug in my boss's ear to maybe set up a, a lab, a small lab to do a little experiment with on just on our older machines to run a, a Linux distribution on there to where they, you know, I don't, I haven't tried it yet in a, in a mass setting, you know, and none of the, I don't know if any of the students would, I mean, the younger kids in the elementary where you could set up these mini labs, I don't think they'd even notice. I don't think they'd even like it. You know, once you got give them a little, little bit of training, they they wouldn't notice the difference. I don't think. Well, that's uh, I uh, just this past semester was in the classroom uh, teaching uh, technology to middle schoolers, and uh, it was probably on functionally well, not functionally. I should say the the oldest uh, actual regularly used computers in the district. The oldest non-thin clients, right? Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, we certainly had issues. There was, there were performance issues. We we're running XP on them, but, uh, they were having a tough time with it. And so I took a, uh, Linux Mint disk over and, uh, installed it on one computer and let a kid use it. And they started asking me one by one, uh, can I get that on my computer? Cause they each had assigned computers. And, uh, by the time the, I, I want to say within a two month time frame, I had just about half the class on Linux Mint because the kids were requesting it. Uh, so that was really uh, neat to see. Um, there were there were some things that would have needed to be worked out uh, on the network and things like that as far as how they were configured to really meet all of their needs. But uh, for what we were doing, they worked great. So uh, I was real happy with it. That's the, the, the biggest stumbling block I'm finding is getting any uh, – a, a distro that I like, I prefer Linux Mint as my favorite, or you know, or the Debian Ubuntu based distros, is to get those. There's no way to get those to, to connect to our Novell services. That's the right. biggest stumbling. And but Novell, of course, since we're a, a paying customer of Novell, they have their own you know Linux enterprise desktop, which right. sled. Yeah, sled, which I just despise. <laughs> I just, I cannot, I just cannot get the hang of it to make, I don't even use it on my work computer at, at school. I run Linux Mint Debian and then I run Windows XP in a, in a virtual box machine to do everything that I can't do in Linux. So. That's the, that's the way I roll at work. <laughs> uh, for our listeners who don't know, SLED is SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop. 
Um, right. It's their uh, proprietary, uh, well, not proprietary, it's still open source, but Novell-backed uh, enterprise uh, Linux distribution. It's it's really good uh, in a lot of ways, but um, it's got the KDE desktop. And if you're a GNOME user, uh, which you sound like you are if you've been using Debian or Mint well, or can, any of those. Well, you can get, you can um, get GNOME. It comes, right. it comes in both flavors, but GNOME or KDE. That tends to be what throws people is the KDE desktop. And, of course, with everybody moving to GNOME 3 or, or later uh, uh, the, the Unity desktop or even we're throwing out X11 now and going to Wayland, uh, all that stuff isn't going to mean anything in a couple of years. So everything you're comfortable with is going to be useless <laughs> in a couple of years. Right. Uh, my so, issue, as much as I am a, an advocate of Linux, it's the, the remote uh, management capabilities. The, you know, I mentioned group policy earlier. Uh, control what a machine does or how it interacts uh, just isn't there. It's like it's never been built in. And, and as you said, it doesn't really talk to Novell servers uh, at all. And um, that's that's the only thing holding me back is that it would, instead of being a uh, unified network, it would be just a collection of individual computers. And uh, when you have that many machines, that's a pretty big negative. And I pay the Microsoft tax just to be able to have uh, some little level of management. Okay. <laughs> no, no comment uh, about that. Not, yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't argue with that. I mean, when Microsoft does make it pretty, you know, easy to communicate with their their servers. Uh, of course, Novell makes it easy for Windows to communicate with their servers. But uh, if you're trying to use a Linux distro that's not, you know, put out by SUS, then you're kind of out of luck. All right, Kevin. I I'm out of questions. Sean, you got anything else? No, I think that's uh, I think that's good. We've uh, we've gone on pretty long now. So, is there? Uh, did you have any other uh, comments or uh, questions for us that you wanted to pose? Uh, no, I don't. All okay, right. that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you want to hang uh, hang around with us now, we're going to do our uh, tips of the week. And uh, maybe if you've got a, a listener tip of the week, you can throw that in there when we're done. No pressure. Um, but uh, uh, we'll go on there. And, and uh, my uh, tip is it's nothing new um, and it's nothing groundbreaking. But when you need it, you need it. And that's the Windows 7 USB uh DVD download tool. Um, and it's, it's released by Microsoft. And if, if you've got, uh, if you want to put Windows 7 on a machine and you don't have a DVD drive, which we ran into in, in our testing on some yes. of our machines, uh, some of the older ones only have, uh, CD drives and there's not a CD implementation of Windows 7. It's, it's the only a DVD. Uh, this tool, uh, which you can just Google, or I've got a link. Uh, I'll have a link on the show notes. Um, the Windows 7 USB DVD download tool will let you make a bootable uh, USB ISO uh, ready to go and install Windows 7. It's the only way we could do some of our uh, netbook machines and some of our older machines. The only way we could put Windows 7 on them. And so uh, I was ignorant of it, and so maybe other people are too. And if you're looking for a way to uh, – everybody is at least taking a hard look at Windows 7 right now because uh, it's out there and XP is being deprecated in the near future and we've even got Windows 8 looming on the horizon uh, due out probably in the next 18 months or so. Um, and so if you're looking at moving forward but you have to take old hardware with you, uh, this tool is something that you'll want to keep in your back pocket. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the only problem I ran into, because I've actually used this, and thanks to you for finding it, uh, was when you get some of the really old hardware, uh, you can't you can't get it to boot to USB. Um, there's no option in the in the BIOS or any any way to set it to boot to a USB device. So, and that's where you uh, use the plop boot manager that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Right, right. So, yeah, you might run into you know a problem like that where you've got to. Uh, uh, get a little more creative, but uh, yeah, that's a great one right there. Okay, and Sean, what is your teacher tip of the week? All right, my my teacher tip of the week this week is a little different than uh, I think usually I give you software, and uh, there, of course there's plenty of it out there, uh, but this one is uh, a post that uh, is actually, I found it on classroom20.com, uh, so that was a tip of the week many moons ago a uh, great website for uh educators a uh, great community uh, i believe it's run by steve hargadon uh-huh. uh so uh, it, you may or may not have heard of him out there but he's pretty well known in education circles and i found this uh th- it's an actual post that i believe it's another teacher made and uh, it's just a great post it's the 100 best youtube videos for teachers and uh, what a great job this guy did in just pulling all of this stuff together and uh, putting it in one nice little place for you to uh, to go and check it out. And uh, he's got it broken down by uh, different uh, uh, different uh, class subject uh, subject areas, so history or science, uh, things like that. Uh, he's also got uh, he's got the arts and languages, but uh, classroom management even so diffusing. Entitle or helicopter parents. Uh, so <laughs> that one caught my eye. So there's, there's some very interesting videos in here that, you know, if you were just kind of surfing on YouTube, you would never run across these, but, uh, he's got a nice list of a hundred there that are just really great for, uh, for any teacher out there. There's even, even some humor, uh, humorous videos and things like that, technology and how to's. And, uh, so great list, uh, there. So check that out. I would give you the link, but, uh, either you can find it on classroom20.com or, uh, even better, just go find the link in the show notes and that'll take you right there. And sadly, most teachers will have to watch this at home because YouTube will be blocked at their school. Yeah, and that's uh, even in his post, at the top of his post, he says that, you know, that it's sad that, uh, you know, mo- a lot of teachers out there cannot access, uh, you know, this subject matter because it's blocked in their school. Kevin, do you, you block YouTube at your school? Uh, we use uh, Lightspeed uh, systems for our filtering and email filtering. It's a dedicated Windows server. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the slight speed. I don't know if you guys heard of light speed systems. Sure. I've heard of it. Yeah. It, at, we can set up uh, different profiles for users and according to their login, the teachers, we have give full access to YouTube and Facebook, but the students don't. Okay. So at least the teachers uh, in your district, they could, they could access this stuff. Then. Correct. Yeah. That's a good, good link. All right. Um, other than that, I just wanted to, before we, kind of rounded out the show i wanted to make sure we mention uh one your one meal one workout is already running uh as right. of this show so if you haven't checked that out if you're like most techs uh <laughs> you probably need to listen to this show <laughs> and then i also want to push the tightwad teacher uh, so 
five days from the release of this show, uh, we'll have our first one. And uh, we've already got actually that show in the can, but uh, as we like to run ahead. So uh, definitely check that out. If you're a tech and you're just really not interested in the teacher side of things, at least like help us and spread the word. You know, you, you work out there, you know some teachers, uh, point them in the direction of that show. And uh, uh, it's going to be a show by teachers for teachers and uh, should be a great one for them. So. One of the questions I get asked a lot when I mention that we have a health and fitness podcast coming out is, what does that have to do with tech? Uh, well, I have two <laughs> answers to that. Uh, one is uh, Element OP Productions uh, is not going to be simply a tech uh, production house. We're going to have, uh, all manner of, of podcast about all manner of things. Uh, but also, um, <laughs> health and fitness has a lot to do with tech. Yes. Because if you've ever been to a technology, uh, centric, uh, uh, conference, you will see that, um, uh, we are, um, not a uh, lot of marathon I, runners. We're in a that hefty group. group. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I've got a, I, I would love to see, I mean, surely there's some stats out there somewhere about, you know, uh, different professions and then what what the percentage of that profession is overweight and tech's got to be right at the top of that list. <laughs> I mean, you know, outside of like Twinkie testers. Or, you know. <laughs> I would think chefs are probably pretty close. Right. 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 So uh, yeah, uh, definitely check it out. I, I, of course I got a sneak preview of the first episode and uh, it got me hooked. I was a little surprised. I mean, I could stand to lose a little bit of weight, but uh, probably a little more than a little bit, but still, uh, I was thinking, eh, you know, I'll check it out, but probably won't be for me. And I, I really liked it. It was a good show. So anyway, uh, Kevin, did we vamp long enough for you to come up with a, uh, a listener tip of the week? Uh, I kind of got a geeky tech tip. Um, I mentioned that I, ha- I carry around a USB stick, and I've kind of, instead of carrying around multiple sticks, what I'm doing now here just in the last few months, that I bought myself an 8-gig stick, and I partitioned that stick into since i like linux mint and especially the debian linux mint debian version i created a 1.2 gigabyte partition on the at the end of that full full 8 gig and then left the the other remaining 6 point whatever as a fat 32 for my uh data storage so i took so if you can picture the 8 gig drive, I created two partitions on it. One uh, at the end of it is a 1.2 for and I used Unibootin to install a live version of Linux Mint Debian on that on that particular partition and then the remaining partition is just for my carry around my you know, my uh, tech tools and documents and stuff I need to have on the go. So I have a, a multiple multi-purpose stick in my pocket that I can walk up to any machine that may be infected or having issues and I can boot to a live Linux distro off of it or I, and then plus I can once it's booted I can actually access the remaining partition for any file you know any personal files I have on that. So that's, that's a, my tech tech tip of the week. That's a handy tip. All, All right. right. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. We say that too much. <laughs> and so uh, we'll once again mention where you can find out more information, uh, where you can find uh, uh, all of our shows, and uh, probably Kevin will be lurking around in the forums as well. And that's all at uh, our website, elementop.com. That's element as in the periodic table of elements, O-P-O-P-I-E, elementop.com. People keep asking me what that's for. Um, it's 
Never mind. If you don't get the joke, you won't get the joke. So never mind. Right. <laughs> yeah. the the old uh, The old logo, the original one that you came up with, uh, it, it definitely explained that you know visually. But uh, either way, it's uh, yeah. it, it's pretty good. But yeah, we had to have a flagship to run all these shows up there under. So so elementop.com is our website where you can find the forums for all of our shows, uh, where you can contact us, where you can get more information, where you can watch the live stream when we're uh, recording our shows. Uh, you can find a calendar, a schedule of all the recording and release dates for all of our shows. Um, and you can also find us on uh, uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash elementop or twitter.com slash elementop and there'll be different lists there for uh, different uh, shows. So if you want to follow the guests, the hosts of Taiwan Tech, there's a list there for that. If you want to fo- follow the hosts of Everyday Linux, there's a, uh, a list for that. We're using uh, Twitter's built-in list feature pretty heavily there. And uh, so check us out. Also, uh, you can always give us a call and leave us a voicemail. Uh, we did have two voicemails this week, but I chose not to play them because they were obvious wrong numbers. Apparently, <laughs> someone had a new baby boy and gave the hospital our phone number. <laughs> All right. And so uh, uh, the uh, the hospital called us twice to confirm that they had an appointment uh, to uh, have their new uh, baby wellness checkup. But uh, I decided not to play that on the air. So whoever you are out there. Uh, <laughs> Wrong you're, number. Yeah, you're, uh, your baby needs to go to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but that number is 530-FRUGAL2, F-R-U-G-A-L, and the number 2. Or you can just go right to our website at elementop.com. And up there in the top right corner, there's a call us button. And uh, you enter your information in there. And Google will call you. And then you can leave us a voicemail. So we look forward to hearing from you. And um, Kevin, any last words before we go? Nope, I'm out of words. All right, thanks for being on our show. We appreciate it. And for now, this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off. <laughs>